Well, this morning, we're very blessed. Uh, oh, one last announcement. from the uh, We want to welcome the uh, LaPush team back. We're glad that they have uh, returned safely. There have been some uh, great things that have happened. They'll be sharing next week. And on behalf of them, they want to thank all of those who helped them. Whether you brought comics for Bonnie or whether you provided food, they were very encouraged and they want to express their gratitude to all of you, especially for your prayers, as uh, the Lord has done great things through them. But this morning, we're very grateful to have uh, a guest, a guest who is a friend, a longtime friend that I've known since I was a little boy. We used to run around Chinese school together. And before that, he used to go to church when he was a little boy. And then uh, I guess dropped out until high school. When I met him again, he used to really be a a wonderful uh, friend. We'd play on the playground. I knew his cousins and they're great friends of mine. And uh, many of you have known him since the time he came to know the Lord as well in high school. And God radically changed his life, worked in his heart. And after college, we uh, graduated together. But unbeknownst to each of us, we had both independently decided we wanted to go to seminary. And so we happened to decide at the same time. And uh, the Lord uh, brought us down to California to the same seminary. We packed everything we had in a little Honda Civic with a car top carrier and drove down to L.A., not knowing anything about anything. And so we uh, went to seminary together. He's a graduate of Master's Seminary. He uh, uh, had come to know the Lord through this ministry, and we uh, ordained him, commissioned him, sent him off. And uh, he uh, married a gal from this church as well, uh, Cindy, and he is ministering as the pastor of San Francisco Bible Church. And those of you who... uh, who uh, I want to encourage you to take some time to uh, catch up with him while he's here. We haven't seen him for a long time. His ministry is very, very busy, as we can all testify who, uh, who serve the Lord. But we want to give him the opportunity to serve you and uh, give him the pulpit this morning. So let's give him a warm welcome this morning. Henry. Joe, uh, or Pastor Joe, I think, uh, as I should properly address him, uh, for uh, the warm greeting. Uh, it's, uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it just brings back a flood of memories uh, when I stand here. As I, was, I, I told Joe, I, I'm, I'm, I was like, I didn't want to look around, because if I look around, I would just see a, a flood of faces and, and memories and, and forgotten names as well. But uh, it is... Uh, it, it is it is so encouraging, and I had some of the, the um, I had some of the uh, your youth in this church come up to me and, and just greet me, and I was so encouraging. Uh, what a what a joy and encouragement it is to see uh, children who have uh, what they had come growing up in this church, and now they're in college or high school, and uh, many of them I still see many of them still walking with the Lord, and I think it's one of the greatest joys for me as a as a pastor is to see people whom we've uh, had a chance to minister to among minister aside uh, now. So it's not by not only see that in your children, but I see it in many of you guys that are still here. Many of you, uh, just look on this room, you've all uh, touched my life, encouraged me and my life and, um, in, a, in just an immense way. I'm so thankful for, for you. I'm so thankful for this church. Uh, I see people that are involved in my wedding. <laughs> you're, you're just, uh, this is so encouraging. And as I was sitting up here, but I think the greatest joy is just standing here this morning and first thing I, I, I would start singing, I, just real, I realized Joe's still the loudest voice in the whole room. He's, 
the voice sings with the, or, I mean, the, the pastor the man sings with just great authority and uh, I, I'm so encouraged by it. Joe I, I love worshiping the Lord with you man <laughs> I love worshiping the Lord with you it's great uh, well anyways uh, I, I do I do we, I do want to uh, give you uh, send you my greetings from my wife Cindy she apologizes that she cannot be with us this morning we had hoped to both could be here we were planning to both be here uh, it's just that yesterday uh, we, our flight was delayed. Uh, we, it was delayed, so three hours. And so uh, we, we got in very late, and so we missed the opportunity to spend with her sister. And so she, uh, she's now skipping out on a church this morning, for those of you wondering. She is visiting uh, uh, Faith Bible Church out in Seattle with, uh, where her sister worships at. And so just so she could catch up with her sister before she leaves on her um, vacation with her mom. So uh, she gives you, she sends you a greeting. She's, well, maybe, who knows, maybe if I, she gets off the, the ship early next, next Sunday, I'll bring her here with you. Anyways, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go to the Word of God. And, let's, uh, and I, we could talk all day about our, what's been going on with me, but let's, we're here for the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Apostle Paul's Word in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. And if you, want, if you don't mind, uh, would you please stand with me as we read the Word of God uh, this Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses thirteen through fifteen. Three verses that we'll read this morning. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He writes, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. If it was for this He called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. May God bless the reading of his word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you, even several thousand years later, are still speaking through your word to us. Father, your word is truth. Your word is power. We pray that as your word goes forth this morning, may your spirit take your word and do your work in the lives of those who hear. Father, may your, work, may your word transform uh, our lives, convict us, Father, of areas in our life that we need to change. May it cause us to, to respond in, in worship and praise and adoration of you. And we just commit to you, Lord, all, these, all that we, comes out of my mouth, all that your people will hear. We pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word this morning. We thank you again for speaking to us. We thank you for giving us ears to hear. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is a joy to hear about the fact that you are having a baptismal service today. I wasn't sure what to preach on after... So many years, it, it's hard to it's hard to come into a, a, a context uh, where you haven't you know you don't know what's going on you, you have you don't really know everyone in the, in the congregation. What do you preach on? And so I, I I you know search your website, very good website. Praise God for that. A very good information on that website. Uh, I noticed that oh they have a baptismal service today, and so it was very fitting. I thought ma perfect. I'm going to talk about salvation because uh, your focus today. Uh, is there going to be a message at the baptismal service today? 
message? Okay, oh good. This is your baptismal service message. Alright? Uh, you know, I praise the Lord. You guys, I love this church because it, it has baptisms out in public. You know, it's just so public. It is a wonderful thing. I, I commend those of you individuals that are getting baptized as a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a, it is a great step of faith that you are, step of obedience that you're taking. And uh, I trust that God will use that for His glory. But... And what I like about baptisms, especially uh, that are the more public they are, the better, is I, I love the testimonies. Because people will, like, people, for the most part, baptisms are, are held in churches these days. Uh, at where I'm at in San Francisco, uh, we have baptismal, little nice baptismal tank. Uh, for the longest time, the water, the heater was broken. It was always cold. It was like, might as well have gone to Lake Sammamish, but it was always cold. And, uh, but uh, uh, we'd have our baptisms in the, in the, the comfort of a, of a shelter. And, you know, and it's basically, anybody who comes is all practically of the church. And there's nobody, that, you know, people walking outside the street would not be able to see what we're doing. But what's wonderful is that for LHBC and having a baptism at Lakes and Mammoth is that it is so public. And it is just like New Testament baptisms. Is that as you, those three individuals, uh, as you give your testimonies this morning, uh, later on this afternoon, people are going to walk by and they're going to hear your testimonies. And, and I don't know how you feel about giving testimonies. Uh, I remember when the first time I had to give my testimony, it, I, was, I was scared to death. I was, I was afraid. I was thinking... Huh, I think I remember getting baptized on the same time as Brother Kirk over here, too, if I recall correctly. And I was thinking, April Fool's Day, 1990, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is, that's true. <laughs> and um, so, but the fact is, people will hear. And you don't, and the God is, God is sovereign. You just don't know how His providence is going to bring about just that person who's just going to come on by. He's going to see a hundred or so of you uh, there you know around somebody in the water they think oh, someone must be drowning they're going to come up and take a look and they're going to hear you giving your testimony instead it's like, what is going on uh, and and uh, who knows whether, whether it is simply that God has ordained you to give your testimony today so that someone who walks by this afternoon and hears your testimony and, has been, and God has been drawing them and they've been seeking and they don't know where to go but they hear your testimony and they hear about how God saved you. And they hear about how God can save them. And, and who knows if not today they might come to saving knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. Because of you. So I'm excited. I, I, I'm going to talk to my dad. I, I told him I would meet up with him. But if he's not available or something like that, or he's, uh, maybe if he wants to, I'll try to bring him out to join you guys for the baptism today. But every Christian, as you know, has a testimony to tell. Every one of us has a story. The testimony of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, Our passage this morning, as we we look at, it helps us to cultivate a, a thankful heart for the fact that we have that we are saved and that we have a salvation testimony to tell. And, I, and so I chose this, these verses to prepare us this, for this afternoon's baptisms. But also I chose it because it encourages us to persist, to persist in holding on to the gospel. I think of John's words that, um, that I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And I felt a little bit of that. I know you're not necessarily my children, but it was very encouraging to me to see many of you still walking in the truth. And, uh, you know, in San Francisco, where I minister, uh, we see kids who grow up in the church, uh, many of them go away for college, particularly, uh, some local nearby, some away, and many of them fall away from the truth. 
because they hear the, the philosophies, the empty philosophies of this world, and, they, um, and they, they choose not to walk with the Lord. But I'm encouraged and to see many of you, and I, I pray that this passage, as, you, as it causes, cultivates in us a thankful heart, that it will also encourage us to persist in believing and holding on to this gospel, our salvation in Jesus Christ. And a little historical background here for Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is that Paul has written this letter to the Thessalonians, a very model church, if you remember, from First Thessalonians. But he's written it to them because they, have, they were being uh, to, to, to guard them from false teachers who had come into their midst, who, had set, who were proclaiming that the day of the Lord had already come. So they were, they were disturbing the people who were getting disturbed because they, well, the Lord Jesus has already come. I thought Paul said we would be with him. How come all of a sudden the Lord has come? What, what, what should we do? Should we, you know, uh, what's, what's going on? And so Paul writes this letter to guard them. And, he, and in, uh, in contrast... He writes in particularly these verses, in contrast to those who in verses in chapter two, verse one through twelve, those fall, those who false teachers and those who follow after them, those who disbelieve the truth, Paul now give, breaks out in thanksgiving for the Thessalonian believers. And he praises God for them for believing in the truth. And so they basically you either disbelieve in the truth or you believe in the truth. And he encourages he praises God for the fact that they have believed in the truth. And he encouraged them to hold on to that truth in these, in these uh, three verses here. As, you, um, as he writes, and we notice in verse 13, he says, But we should always give thanks. So, but there's talk, he's in contrast to those who disbelieve the truth. He says, But we, that is he and, and, his fellow, and Sylvanus, his fellow missionaries, we should always, we ought always, it is fitting for us to always give thanks to God for you. That he was so, he was, this is a continual thanksgiving that he gave. He was always thankful to God for these Thessalonian believers. They were, if you know much about the Thessalonians, we, they are a model church. They're, they're, they're a great example of a church. Uh, they're a church that was known for their love, their love for one another. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, Paul there says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So these Thessalonians were known for their faith. It was greatly enlarged. They were known for their love, their love towards one another. And these things shined really brightly because they were a church that was in the midst of persecution and suffering and afflictions. And, and so their faith, their faith in God that persisted in the face of that, their love for one another that persisted in the, in the face of that, was a great testimony to the fact that they were those who were, those, that those who were believers. And so, uh, Paul goes then, so Paul now gives thanks to, them, to God for them for these reasons. Paul recognizes that God deserves the thanks, if you notice. But we should always give thanks to God for you. Uh, he doesn't give thanks to the Thessalonians, but he gives thanks to God. Because he realizes that it was God who saved them. It was God who was the source of this faith. God who was the source of this love that they have. Paul's, and, and he continually does so. He continually does so. As Paul continues in these verses, then uh, that's kind of the, the main, the kind of the main statement of these of this section that Paul continually gives thanks for their salvation. But we now notice three things or three reasons why Paul gives thanks to God for their salvation. Uh, three reasons, not just about their salvation. Three reasons to continually give thanks to God because of their salvation. But I think they're also at the same time they're also an application for us. Three reasons for us to give thanks to God for our salvation for our salvation. For reason number one is this. Paul says, 
We give thanks to God for you, for your salvation, because God chose you. God chose you for salvation. Notice there he calls them, uh, first of all, just notice there what he calls them there. He says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord. So brethren, he calls them brethren because they're believers, they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, it's just a common term for fellow believers. But he calls them also beloved by the Lord, that they're loved by God. Now, one might, one might think that God loved these Thessalonians. And, and by application even to believers today, because of what they do for God. Because of the fact that they have an exemplary faith. Because of the fact that they love God. Um, a lot of times our love is like that, right? We love people because, oh, they love us. You know, you know someone told, does something loving for me, oh, I'm going to love them. But not so for God. God does not love these Thessalonians. When he says beloved of the Lord, he doesn't, it's, not, it's not communicating that he loves them because of their faith or because of their, their love towards one another. But as we understand, God's love is greater than that, isn't it? God's love is greater than just a, a reciprocal love. Where he loves us because we somehow loved him first, as you we know. The Bible says says that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. See, we didn't love God first. God loved us, even though we were sinners. So that's, this is amazing. God loves someone who was unlovable, people like ourselves. Before we even exercise any faith, before we even exercise any love, God already loved us. God's love for us, in fact, precedes any exercise of faith, precedes any love of Him or for others on our part. As it is written, of course, we know John 3.16 very well, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or as John puts in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. God first loved us. It wasn't because of anything about us that He loved us. Or it is anything about the Thessalonians that He loved them, even though they were the model church. See, no matter whether you love God or not, God has already demonstrated His love for you by sending His Son. He sent His Son to die for our sins, die the sins of the world. And particularly for those of us who have believed in His Son, we have even more reason to thank God because God has showed His love by choosing us for, this, for salvation. By choosing us. So these Thessalonians were beloved of the Lord because they were chosen. You know, as we continue on this passage, we should, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. God shows His love because He by choosing them, by choosing you from the beginning for salvation. Paul here is referring to the doctrine of election, uh, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of uh, predestination. I'm sure uh, you've all studied that and wrap, tried to wrap your mind around that and, and uh, wrestled with understanding it. And uh, though we might be able to state it, I hope you come to understand that we, none of us as finite men and women can ever fully grasp this doctrine of election or predestination. Before there was time, as if we could actually understand what that meant. Before there was time. Before the foundations of the world. Right? I mean, before there was anything that existed of all creation. Before all this. Before there was any man. Before there was any earth. Before there was any heaven. Before there was any stars. Before there was any animals. Before anything in this world existed. Before the foundations of the world. God chose us for salvation. He chose a certain people throughout history for salvation. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1.4, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
And uh, sometimes I try to... I remember in college, I, back in the day, I think I was saving college, Joe. Uh, but, you know... And it was, and Joe's, so, Joe's very humble, but uh, he's a humble guy, but God used Joe to, to save me. So it was his joy, his, effect, his infectious joy um, that drew me to the, want to know the joy of the Lord as well. Uh, but it was, uh, God had chosen, uh, the, and God had chosen the Thessalonians, and God had chosen us before the, before the foundation of the world, before anything existed, as we talked about. Before any single man or woman had been created on the earth, before Adam and Eve, uh, God had chosen individuals for salvation. You know, I thank God He chose me. He chose Joe. You know, He chose John. And He chose um, Adam and Stacy here. And He chose everyone here who has believed in Jesus Christ. He chose us before they even, we even existed. It's so profound. It's awesome. But some might wonder why God had to choose it all. Right? Well, that's a common question. When we, talk, when we study this doctrine of election, God choosing us, we always ask, well, why, does God, why does God choose it all? Wouldn't, wouldn't we have on our own come to believe in Jesus Christ? The answer, of course, is no. It is not. We would never have come, come to Jesus Christ on our own. We would never have chosen to seek after Him on our own. Because we're all born with a sinful nature. You know, the scriptures in Romans 3, 10 to 12 talks about how there's none righteous and there's not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. None who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. No, no one seeks after God. No one does good. No one will come on their own, come to know, come to seek after God. So that's why God has to choose. What leads people to eventually seek God and believe in His Son is because God has chosen them for salvation. Now, of course, at this point, some of you who are still following with me might think, well, why doesn't God choose everyone, right? That's the next step, right? Why doesn't God just choose everybody? Because that's a great thing. I I think we're all very thankful that we're chosen. But why doesn't God choose everybody? I mean, it's it's an honest question. But it's a wrong question if we think about what Scripture speaks. Because it's like... As Paul would describe, it's like the pot trying to tell the potter what to do. It's like saying, God, you should have chosen everybody. Why didn't you? As creator, he has, every, he has every right over the clay. In fact, the better question is what we should be asking is, why does God choose anyone at all for salvation, right? Why did he even choose anyone? The former question, uh, see, the former question presumes that everyone somehow deserves salvation. And they don't. We don't. But this latter question, why does God choose anyone at all, properly recognizes that none of us deserve salvation. God doesn't have to choose anyone at all. And He would still be just. He would still be fair. Why God chooses any at all is because salvation, our salvation, though it involves us, thankfully so, it's not about us. Salvation is not about us, first and foremost. It's not about us having eternal life, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's not about experiencing the rich abundance of, of life that God has for us in Christ. Salvation, if you, as we understand the scriptures, is about God. It's about His glory. Paul writes about this in Romans 9, 22-23. That God wants to make known the riches of His glory by showing mercy to chosen vessels. 
In Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, we, three times there we talked about the, the great passage of, of our salvation. And there we see the, great key, the key verses on election and predestination. In verse 6, verse 12, verse 14 of Ephesians 1, Paul describes how our salvation is to what? To the praise of us? No, it's to the praise of His glory. It's to the praise of His glory. It's to the praise of His glory. Our salvation is not for us so that we can be happy. Our salvation is that God might be glorified and praised. And it's a profound thought, of course, as a lot of times, uh, it's, I think most of us live our lives thinking, uh, just really thank, uh, thanking, thankful for our salvation because I'm saved and, and now I have, I have a power to wrestle with sin and, and I have a wisdom to raise my family and uh, I can have, uh, I can have a, just, just joy in the midst of, in the midst of trials. But God saved us, ultimately, to bring glory to Himself. That He might be glorified. You know, I'm glad that God chooses, doesn't, aren't, don't you? At, at SF Bible, this, is this being recorded? Okay. Hmm. We'll change the names, so that, you know, no incriminating. At SF Bible, we got all sorts of uh, interesting people. You know, interesting people. Not like you guys, good, good wholesome people right here in Seattle. Uh, but in San Francisco, we've got some interesting people. You're, anybody from San Francisco here? No? Oh, okay. All right, brother. San Francisco's got one, you know, yes, one good person at least. But uh, interesting people in San Francisco. And when I look at our con- the congregation in San Francisco, I look at it and I say, man, God, I'm amazed that you bring different individuals. I mean, some of them preceded me, of course. But since I've been there, God has brought different individuals in. And in San Francisco, there are just so interesting people. And I'm, I'm amazed because when I look at some, listen, meet some of these people, I would think to myself, you know, God, it's amazing because I would have never chosen this person for salvation. <laughs> this person's, you know, and, you know, especially as you know some of the people, you get to know them after a while, I said, wow, uh, uh, this guy's crazy. If you had met them, you know, when they were unbelievers, you would say, no, no this guy's never going to get saved. You know, there, have been, there are some interesting characters, uh, interesting people. But praise God, he, he, he's the one who chooses. I would have chose all the nice people. You know, that's probably what I would have done. But God chooses the weak and God chooses the sinful and God chooses uh, those who are, are not, who are foolish, uh, that He might be glorified. And He chooses, he, choo- he has come to save the sinners, those who, are, those who need a doctor. And so, praise God for that, He chooses. So the Bible reveals here then that fact that when God chose you for salvation, it means that you exist to give glory to God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no higher purpose in life than to bring God glory. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12, Paul, or even if you look back there, Paul even talks, describes that. And so that's why Paul says, because of the fact that God chose us, we should continually give thanks to God for our salvation. It's just, it's, I'm amazed by the fact that he would save me, a wretched man who would mock, I used to mock Job, you know that? You would think, man, how can you mock Job? Joseph, Pastor Joseph is uh, one of the most uh, kind and uh, uh, dear and faithful brothers that you know, but I, I used to mock him when I was in college. Um, I'm ashamed to say that, brother. I'm sorry. But, uh, but amazingly, through, through him and some of you, God, and God chose me for salvation. God chose me, unworthy that I am. Anyways, praise God for the fact that he chooses us. I'm sure any of us, many people, people here have very similar kind of... Uh, Colorful backgrounds so that uh, we were saved out of it. But God, praise God that God chose us. But secondly, we give thanks to God, Paul, as we continue here, is that God, Paul says here, now I know we should give thanks to God for his, the fact that he's chosen you, Thessalonians. 
But the fact is, God always should also give thanks to God because God has called you. Uh, God has called you to salvation. He not only chose you for salvation, but God called you to salvation. There we pick up. We. Uh, um, it is in the before the foundation of the world, God chose us for salvation. But it is in our lifetimes, in, in our present time, that God calls us to salvation. And we respond to that calling when we believe in His Son. And Paul describes this in the latter half of verse 13 and into 14. He says, Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this He called you through our gospel. And so, uh, you might wonder why I, I kind of read latter half of verse 13 and into the first part 14. In the Greek, it's just one sentence. There's no period there. It is for this purpose, this purpose, and, I'm, and, I, and I take this purpose to be the salvation that, that God has called us to. That is for this purpose, and that includes this part of where God saved us through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So, what Paul's describing here is really the process of conversion, or, or the moment of conversion for us. It is known as, sometimes we call it the, you might, I would also throw in his calling and our conversion. God's calling and our conversion. Paul recognizes here that there is both a divine and human action involved in our conversion. If you notice, there is through, or some of yours might say in, or with, or by. But it's, uh, it is through, first of all, two things. The sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth that salvation comes. So there is two elements here in our conversion. Two, 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 two Two elements, a divine and human element. And human element. First of all, the phrase sanctification by the Spirit is emphasizes the divine action. Uh, the work that God does in our life. The sanctification by the Spirit. Sometimes we call this the regenerate. Uh, some we call, this, or we call this regeneration. When we hear this word sanctification, a lot of times we think of the, the progressive sanctification. The, where God kind of begins in our Christian life to make us more like Christ. To make us uh, more holy or uh, you know, obedient to the Lord. But this phrase here, sanctification by the Spirit, refers instead to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The Holy Spirit's work in sending people from the world, from sin, into Christ, to Christ, to, to Christ. So from the, takes us from the world, sets, apart, sets us apart from the world, and sets us to Christ. Sometimes we call this the baptism in the Spirit either. Also, baptism by the Spirit. Now, um, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, refers to this very same thing in First Peter chapter one, verse one and two, when addressing those who are, he said, address those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. There's our election again by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's, that's this phrase here, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. You know, the Spirit of God must first do His work in us before we can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus describes this work of the Spirit in John sixteen eight. If you recall, where the, he says, he sends, he will send his spirit who will convict the world of sin, of your sin. Convict of Christ, right, of, as concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the spirit is sent to us to convict us of our sin, right? Until, unless we're convicted of sin, we don't need a savior. Unless we're convicted of, of Christ's righteousness is what we need. We will not, uh, we will not turn to Christ for that righteousness. Unless we're convicted of the, the impending judgment that comes upon those who are rebellious sinners, we won't feel any urgency to turn to Christ for salvation. Unless the Spirit sanctifies your heart, regenerates your heart, sets you, convicts you of sin, convicts you of your need for Christ, you will not believe. You will not return to Jesus Christ and ask for God's mercy. We understand that. That's the first part. That human element of this conversion process. That there's a sanctifying 
sanctifying by the Spirit, sanctification by the Spirit. But there's a second element, that's the human action. Is that when the Spirit of God has regenerated our heart, when the Spirit of God has sanctified, set us apart from the world to Himself, there is then the human element, the human response. And this is what we're usually familiar with, and that is faith in the truth. Faith in the truth. Faith is more than just acknowledging or, or agreeing with a set of facts. It's trusting. It's putting our faith in. It's sitting down in that chair, as, as that most common illustration of putting our weight on it. He calls, God calls us to put our faith in Him, in the truth. The truth is the gospel. It's the gospel of salvation. It's the heart of the gospel is summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, where the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then on the third day, and He was buried, and, on the third day, and that He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the heart of the message. Christ died, and Christ rose from the dead. He died for our sins. He died to forgive us of our sins. He was risen so that we might have the right, His righteousness counted to us. When God calls us to salvation through the preaching of the gospel of truth, we are to respond then in faith. Faith is the response to that. As He sanctifies our hearts, He regenerates our heart, we respond in faith. And as we learn from Peter 2.8, as you are familiar, many of you are familiar, faith also is a gift from God. But still, it never, though it is a gift from God, it is still what we as, we as humans must do. It is our response to respond in faith. Both these divine and human actions are required in our conversion, or involved in our conversion. But this does not, none of these happen, this sanctifying work, this, uh, the, uh, un, until, unless God calls. Sometimes this might be the doctrine of called, we call it the effectual calling. Uh, you might, many of you are familiar with this, perhaps. Um, Romans 8.30 uh, refers to that. Those whom he predestined, he, he chose. These he also called. God would call those whom, whom he has chosen. God's calling is a supernatural calling. And when he calls, it's not like a, it's an audible voice, but he calls us to himself through his spirit. He calls us to believe in him. He calls us to respond to the gospel that someone preaches, someone shares with us. And as we respond, and when he calls us, that calling produces the sanctifying work of the Spirit and that faith in the truth. God calls us. And when God calls you, he calls you to believe in the gospel. And you believe because of God's sanctifying, the Spirit's sanctifying work in you. And this is reason also to continually give thanks to God for our salvation. When we understand that if, unless God had called us, unless God had... Done his, the, uh, unless His Spirit had not done His work, had done the work of, of, setting, of sanctifying us and setting us apart from the world to Himself, we would never have then responded in faith to believe. Salvation's of God. And that's something to give thanks to Him for. Thirdly and lastly, um, we need to give thanks to God for, because, for our salvation because not only um, has he cho- will he, God has chosen us for salvation, uh, not only does He call us to salvation, but we learn in the last part of verse 14 that God will complete you in salvation. God will complete you in salvation. Verse 14, It was for this He called you through our gospel, and that, uh, really to the, really it's not so much that, it's to the end, or to the purpose, or to the res- to the. To the, to the end, the end purpose, to the purpose that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this might we might be no, this if uh, we would call our glorification as believers. And one of the as one of the results of our salvation is that we will share in Christ's glory by becoming ultimately in due time, in one day being completely perfectly conformed into the image of Christ. 
Paul writes to this and uh, refers to this as well in Romans 8, 29, 30. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these, those he also called, those are called, but whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So the end result is of, this, of the fact that God chose us, God saved us, God called us, is ultimately the fact to the end that we would be glorified. Now this glorification is, will take place when we, when, we, when we stand before Him. But the transformation will be, first of all, it will be a spiritual transformation. It is a transformation of our sinful, of our sinful hearts. Sure, um, you know, all of us, though we are saved by grace, if you haven't figured it out, I, I have, after... Uh, 20 years, I think, of being saved. 20 years. I'm, I'm amazed more and more of how sinful my heart is. You know, no, matter, no matter how hard you may try, you cannot eliminate the sinful nature that is in us. It is a part of the old nature. It's a part of the old man. And it's, it, it, it is, but yet God is doing a work. God is conforming. I was reading a book this week uh, called The Mortification of Sin. A very good book. And I just realized this. Uh, that to just be encouraged, that I must be continue. I was encouraged to continue to be vigilant against sin in my life. Because if I'm not killing sin, sin is killing me. You ever think about that? Wow, it's like profound, a profound statement in that book. Anyways, the fact is, I still have a sinful nature. I still sin. I still have, and you know, as as you grow in your Christian life, you might not do those blatant, you know, out, you know, visual sins anymore. You might not uh, steal like you know I used to steal. You might not do graffiti on the walls like some people did. You might not, you know, you might you might not uh, do those kinds of things, those outwardly evil things. But still, there's attitudes of the heart, and and you realize that they're still there, that they're there. The attitudes of and when, when you want something, you see that desire, that greed coming through. When you, you just think, oh, I, I'm better than that person. It's the attitude of pride coming through. And, and it, it drives me crazy that these things persist in my life. But I know that one day I will gain the glory of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be set free from, uh, I'll be, my body will be transformed and my soul will be set free from my sinful nature. And I, that will no longer be, a, no, no longer be a, a fault in my life. Don't you, don't, you want, don't you want that? Don't you ever wrestle with sin? When you wrestle with sin, don't you hate it? And when, not only that, but there's going to be a tra- physical transformation. Our glorification is the physical as well. Our bodies itself will be transformed and glorified and made glorified bodies. And, as, and I look around the room, y'all look so young still. Man, that's amazing. Uh, Joe looks like he's still 20. Unbelievable. But I was thinking... As I get older, you haven't noticed, I'm wearing glasses now. Man, I can't believe it. Uh, I've been wearing glasses forever, but I wear glasses now because I can't see. I can't see anymore. It's like shocking to myself. And you, I get, I'm starting to get white hair. Um, I'm starting to see people, uh, loved ones, um, die. And I'm just realizing that we're getting older. We're getting older. And though our bodies will die, it dies because of sin. But one day, our bodies will be resurrected, it will be glorified, and this body will be made complete. No more sin, no more death, no more disease, no more limitations because of our bodies, no more suffering. 
God has begun his work in salvation. And Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of the very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That God is doing a work. He's doing a work in making us, even in this life, the sanctifying process of making us more like Christ. And, and sometimes we wrestle and we, and we sometimes uh, don't work with God. We resist his, his work in us and we try to we, 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 uh, quench the spirit. But God's work will be completed one day. It will be completed. And this is inevitable. As we conclude, Paul's words in these two verses then remind us that we should always give thanks to God for our salvation. He chose us. He called us. And he will complete us. So now we should give thanks to God for this. But as we look at verse 15, Paul writes there, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. For those who have been chosen and called and, and are being completed in Christ. I hope as you... I don't get to come often to see you. Um, but I remember you often in my prayers. I pray that you would stand firm. You know, I hope that if I don't come back for the rest of my life, if I don't see you guys ever again, I pray that I will see you in heaven. I pray that until that day you stand firm. And hold on to the truth, the gospel, the gospel of truth, whether as passed on as from the found in the Word, that you be then that when they, when we when this our salvation is completed and we're in heaven, we might continue to rejoice and give thanks to God for the salvation that He's given to us, that it will be complete and we'll see that completion together in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Word and thank you for this the opportunity to to hear and to remind it of our salvation. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us to saving faith in Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for the promise that one day that the work that you are doing will be completed. And until that day, Lord, we, we respond by just giving you thanks. We respond by holding firm, standing firm and holding on to the truth that you have entrusted to us this powerful gospel. Lord, I pray for our baptismal candidates especially, that as they begin their Christian faith in their life, may they hold firmly, may they always, uh, may they hold firmly to their faith and stand firm. And Lord, may you cause in them to have a continual thanksgiving for their salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. We give you praise, Lord, for all these things. We thank you in Jesus' name.